Welcome to Canoe Creek Christian Church's podcast. Our mission is to help others connect with Christ, grow together, and go share Jesus with their world. We are located at 4080 Pine Tree Drive. Our services are Sunday morning at 8.30, 10 o'clock, and 11.30 a.m. You can also find our services online through Facebook and YouTube. Thanks for listening today. Hey, Canoe Creek. I want to invite you to jump into Hebrews chapter 12. So go ahead and grab your Bibles, flip it open, find Hebrews chapter 12. If you're not familiar with your Bible, start from the back, move to your left. You'll get to Hebrews quicker that way. Uh, if you need a Bible, look at the racks in front of you. There's Bibles there, paperbacks. Pull one out. I think somewhere around page 560 to 580, somewhere you'll find the, the Hebrews letter. Chapter 12 is that large number. We're going to be looking at some of the latter verses there this morning uh, in that chapter. Uh, or, as always, uh, if you're just following along digitally on your phone, our sermon notes are in the Bible app this morning for you to be able to follow along as well. Let me just share a couple things before we jump into the Scripture, give you a minute to find it, and just share some things with you. This is the last sermon in this series. I'm, I'm a little bit bummed about that because it's been a really great series in my opinion. At least it has been for me. I hope it has been for you. In fact, there's a passage we're going to look at today that I think there's like actually eight sermons in this one passage, and I'm thinking about a future series that'll just be focused on this one passage. It's just a powerful reality in what we're going to see here this morning. I just want to let you know that next week, Alan Algram, a mentor of mine, is going to be here. I'm excited about that. Uh, he's going to be presenting a message on community, the importance of relationships, and that's so, so essential for the church. Uh, we're going to be talking about groups, too. You're going to have opportunities to let us know, hey, do you want to be involved in a group? Do you need to get connected to a new group? Do you want to form a new group? And just some different opportunities that are available there as well. Uh, then we go into this series in Psalms. It's going to be five weeks that are going to be very different at Canoe Creek than what, you've, what you're used to. Uh, all the elements of how we normally worship. I mean, every church has a liturgy. Our church has a liturgy. Welcome, three songs, sermon, so on and so forth, right? All that's going to be shaken up for five weeks. How we're going to do things, we're going to pray more together, we're going to have a, a very intentional focus in each one of the services together, and we're going to be exploring five different psalms throughout those five weeks. I'm excited about that. Uh, then we have two weeks where we're going to be focused on something we're sharing with you starting next week called the Generosity Project. We're excited about that. Uh, and, then, and then the last Sunday in November, we start singing Christmas songs, all right? All right, right on time. And we're going to be jumping into a series called Emmanuel, God with us, talking about the, the blessing that we have, that the presence of God is with us. And I'm excited because that actually launches us into just simply the idea of learning how to live with the presence of God in your life. And so I'm, I'm looking forward to that. And so we got some great stuff coming up. Um, but as we prepare to read this scripture and jump into this, I just want to go ahead and tell you, I've got some things that I'm going to say today that I know some may find offense to. I, I really do not intend to be offensive in any way in some of the stuff I'm going to say. I, I typically try to lean towards the idea of unity within the church globally, but I, I think that we've got a, an issue, a, a pandemic of greater proportions than COVID-19 when it comes to the gospel within our own culture. And, and, and it concerns me deeply, and, and I've been wrestling with this, and even though over 17 years I've never called out by name certain things from, from you know, the preaching position, I just decided today's the day. Let's read this, this scripture together, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 28 and 29. It's the ending of what you could say is a core thought, and we're going to look back at some of the parts and pieces of it, but here's the main thing we need to know. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. And so, worship God 
acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Uh, This is a great verse. Uh, We'll look a little bit more about what's really happening in this verse, but I think the core things we're looking at here is being thankful and uh, worshiping God, which is the question is, you know, can we do this even when things around us are being shaken? Let me ask you a question. Are you living an unshakable life? That's the real question in this text is, are you living an unshakable life? And, th- and this is where I'm going to say something that, uh, just be honest with you, I'm, I don't normally go this route because I like to seek for unity as much as I can. But when I think that there's a, a different gospel being presented than what is really the true gospel, sometimes I, I have to call it out. And I think that the core concept within this text really leads us to this. And that is, if that statement, are you living an unshakable life, came from somebody like Joel Osteen, uh, T.D. Jakes, uh, Stephen Furtick, Joyce Myers, Todd White, the kingdom of all, Kenneth Copeland, it would mean something radically different, right? It would mean that, you know, your life is unshakable because you have faith, therefore you're going to have prosperity and you're going to have wealth and you're going to have health because if you name it, you can claim it. Uh, There's another title under which it's running, it seems like, in our days, and that's the Word of Faith Gospel. Uh, Either way, at the end of the day, it is not anything new under the sun. I mean, think about what Paul said to the church in Galatia thousands of years ago when he said, who's bewitched you? Why have you traded the gospel for another gospel that's no gospel at all? And I think that we have this significant issue of a false gospel creeping into our lives to cause us to believe that I can live in such a way that I will never be shaken in this world. The reality of it is, is that all of us are going to be shaken to some degree. Whether it's shaken in illness, whether it's shaken in financial struggles, whether it's shaken in relational issues, whether it's shaken in in a variety of things, all of us are going to experience something in this life that just grabs us and shakes us into kind of like a a daze going, what just happened? What kind of news did I just get? What did my spouse just say? (laughs) What's really going on here? This is the reality of the world we live in. And this idea that if you just have enough faith, that's never going to happen in your life is just a false gospel. It's a false reality that I want to point out a little bit. It's a dangerous theology that's not helping people to know the really deep presence of God in their life and not helping in any way people prepare for Jesus Christ returning to our world to usher us into a whole new eternal age where everything is set, everything is certain, everything is promised, and everything is into the future, perfect in the presence of God for those who have faith in Jesus Christ. The gospel is so essential and it's so important. We can live an unshakable life, but not as a false prophet would suppose. As our lives get shaken by the various things in this world, it kind of knocks some things loose, as we'll see here in a verse in a minute, and gives us a greater focus, a more intentional focus on the one thing that can't be shaken loose in our life in any way. And the question is, is the more we're driven into that presence of God, the more when we experience any kind of shaking that this world can provide for us, the more we learn how to be thankful in that moment and worship God in that moment in regards, regardless of any circumstance that may be difficult. That may be hard. And we see great example after great example of people over the course of time who've demonstrated that kind of amazing faith. Look at what this scripture says in chapter 12, verses 26 through 27. It says this, picking up halfway through 26. But now he has promised... 
once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken. That is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain, which is the heavens and the eternal glory and kingdom of God. Uh, this, this, this verse is an eschatological verse. It's a $10 biblical word to basically say it's really about the return of Jesus Christ. It's about the end of the world. It's about God ushering uh, all things into a new age and a new era. And this is what the kingdom of God is really all about, and being a part of that kingdom, longing for, looking forward to the presence of God in a powerful way. Let's just talk for a few minutes about what can be shaken and why. Uh, what has already been shaken, and how we can respond as a result, okay? So we're going to talk about what can be shaken and why, what has already been shaken, and how we as Christians with our faith in Jesus Christ are to respond. I heard a story about uh, building interstates all over our nation and some particularly difficult places where it's extremely swampy and hard to build something that wasn't intended to be built there. Uh, one of these stories comes from the late 70s, and, and they had driven down the piers for this area that was going to run through a really swampy spot. And then once the piers were down, uh, they started to apply all the, you know, the weight of the concrete and the pourings and the forms and everything else. Well, this weight caused something to be revealed, that the piers weren't all the way down to bedrock, and the piers shifted down and this thud and crash, you know, started to crack up and destroy the concrete work that they had already done. Uh, years passed where they had to continue to work on this, and this happened several times. And this is a good metaphor, I think, for life to where sometimes our peers are sunk down deep and we think that they've reached the bedrock of God, but the pressures and the weight of this life comes and it shakes us, and we realize we can go deeper. You realize that we're not really resting in the full bedrock of God in the way that we can be. And here's the reality that I struggle with, you struggle with, we struggle with. To really know God in his perfect presence and his perfect glory is something that we will not come to understand until that moment when we stand in the eternal kingdom, seeing him face to face in a way that we can only imagine. But now is a life in which we live where we get shaken up sometimes and some of the things of this world get cast off of us and our, our peers go a little bit deeper, and if we're, if we're grounded in, sinking in our faith in Christ, here's what happens. No matter how we get shook, no matter what happens, we're going to find ways to be thankful about God and worship God in the midst of those circumstances and struggle because our future is greater than our reality or our past. It's more essential than our reality or our past. When we experience this kind of shaking in life, it's not the result of you just don't have enough faith, which is what some false gospels and some false theology will tell you, well, if you had more faith, you know, you would have these finances that you need. If you had more faith, your health wouldn't be this way or whatever it be, which is totally antithesis to the gospel and, and, and examples of scriptures all throughout time. I mean, in all reality, when you find your life being shaken in ways that you can't understand and fathom and you're struggling through that, like many of us will, you find yourself in some amazing company. I mean, I could talk about the company you can find yourself in with just Jesus Christ himself who suffered and struggled. But go back to the very first example. Many of you know of the story of Job. If you don't, he's somebody in his life who experienced intense struggle, intense suffering, major shaking. And yet it says that he was a righteous, upright man who believed and trusted in God. He had great faith. He had amazing faith. And the list goes on, right? Peter. 
Paul, Andrew, Stephen, Thomas, Philip, Matthew, Bartholomew, James, and the list goes on. Think of all the people who were dispersed after the stoning of Stephen, the first martyr in the church. And they were dispersed to various cities and out and around, just as Jesus prophetically said would happen, which is interesting. But they're dispersed about, and here's the radical thing is for thousands of years now, there have been people, Christians, and pockets of this world all over that have experienced that kind of persecution for thousands of generations. There are families that can say, my grandfather was persecuted, my great-grandfather was persecuted, and so on and so forth. But we just get so hung up in our little piece of the pie of the world here in America, and we just think that everything's always supposed to go right. You add in a little false gospel, a little false theology that if you have enough faith, it will go right, and boom. It's just, that's the greatest pandemic there ever can be. I, listen, at the end of the day, I'm about to say something that may really frustrate some people. I, listen, I don't mean to, and I don't mean to seek disunity. I don't. I really always try to aim for unity. I, I really appreciate what so many Christians were involved in yesterday, a national day of prayer. I really do. But if you go to the site where this group that organized this National Day of Prayer states their mission, and you will see that the entire focus was praying for our nation to return to God. I'm sorry, but that is not in alignment with the gospel because I do not have a gospel that just thinks one nation needs to turn to God. I have a gospel that thinks that every corner of this world needs to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. And I don't know why we can't set aside a time to where on a daily basis, on a regular basis, our focus isn't just, hey, we want God to return into our nation because we see that there's some problems here and things aren't going the way that we'd like them to go. So God, come on and show up again and bless us and make everything good in our life. We know there's people in different pockets of the world that are always persecuted. That's bad for them, but, but we want things to go better for us over here. I just struggle with that. I really think that the gospel is for everybody, for all cultures, for all ethnicities, for all places of the world, for all areas of struggle. And I think that in our culture, we may have the greatest, most difficult time, I should say, really realizing the gospel for what it is. And we need to think about that more carefully. Here's what I want to say. Things that have the power to shake our lives are not nearly as dangerous as a false gospel that misleads our hearts. I say this not fully understanding it, not fully knowing it. Trust me, I, I understand this. It's some of you empathically, I, I'm with you. You've experienced far more than I can ever imagine in terms of struggle, in terms of being shaken by this world. But I, at the end of the day, I want to have the kind of faith to say, hey, bring on any kind of illness, bring on any kind of financial struggle, bring on any kind of issues that this world can bring to me. But whatever you do, please don't let my heart become so focused on a false gospel that I miss the real truth of who Jesus Christ is and have the ability to give him thanks and worship him even if I'm in the deepest pit of despair. Because you, this world can shake me in such a way to take everything that I have, but the one thing it can't take is what the gospel is and when it's true, when it's real, when it's, when it's, when it's as God presents us and not something false. Not something fake, not something that just makes me feel secure, not something that just gives me hope that everything in my life's going to work out okay, but something that gives me a real long-term vision for what eternity is 
And that's going to increase my passion and desire for the presence of God in my life and learning how to to walk with him and to live with him every single day because I know there's a day coming in which I'll leave this earth or Jesus Christ is going to return and I'm going to be in his presence and it's only his light that's going to light every day. It's the only thing that I'll ever say is going to be praising and pleasing to him that every tongue and every nation of Revelation says is going to be there in a holistic way that we've got other nations praying for our nation but yet we'll gather together and just simply pray for our nation rather than the world to hear the gospel. That's, that's where I want my heart to be. And sometimes I'm, I'm concerned that, that things that have the power to shake our lives are not nearly as dangerous as a false gospel that misleads our hearts. So let me ask you this, or just make this statement to recognize this, our faith, our faith in God, our faith in the real gospel, our faith in true theology is a shield that does guard our, our, our vital faith organs. That helps us see that the weight of eternal glory is greater than the weight of worldly struggle. So that no matter how I get shaken in the world in which I live, all it does is is move me towards praise. To give greater thanks, to act in a way of greater worship towards God and what I do longing for gathering together with the church, longing for the nations as they'll be gathered together in time in the presence of God, that my faith is always rooted in a true gospel, moving me in that direction. Let me give you a couple of comparisons that this text gives. It comes earlier in verses 18 and 21. It says this, you have not come, all right? You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them because they could not bear what was being commanded. Even if an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. The writer says, you have not come to this kind of a mountain. This is the imagery of Mount Sinai. This is after God's people came out of Egypt rescued from slavery, comes to this mountain. God descends on it in such a terrifying way to give them the law to where they're going to make a covenant. We'll trust you, we'll believe in you, we'll follow you, so on and so forth. But he says, you've not come to this. And he gives this dark and very difficult language. And then he contrasts that with what he goes on to say. But you have come. You have come to Mount Zion. This is a picture of security. To the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God, you have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. We've come to a gathering of God's people in joy where we praise him. To the church of the firstborn, this is talking about the vivid imagery here is this idea that we are adopted as sons and daughters of God, and as a result of that, we are heirs of God's promise. We don't deserve it, but we're heirs of his promise whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all men, to the spirits of righteous men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. It speaks a better word because it speaks of grace rather than vengeance. This is the passage here where there's eight sermons right there alone, and I don't have the time, obviously, here today to deal with all that, but what a powerful contrast. And as we think about that, I think the picture that he's trying to give those who are first hearing it as we're hearing it now is simply this. Our old lives are the shakable ones. Our new lives in Christ are unshakable. 
our whole lives are the shakable ones, the ones before Christ, the ones without Christ. It's a picture of this doom and gloom and storm and mountain where I can't approach God, I can't be anywhere near God, and yet then all of a sudden we get this picture of how we can approach God and be near to God, be close to God, which is very different. This strong contrast that we get within this passage. And as we think about that, our new lives are the unshakable ones. Why? Because we're finding our root. We're finding our foundation, our faith in Jesus Christ and trusting that no matter how we're shaken in this world and no matter what comes loose, it's okay. Because there is a place, there is a time, there is a person in which nothing will ever be shaken. And no matter what happens in this world, no matter what kind of false gospels we're fed, no matter what kind of prosperity gospel we start resting in into our American gospel, that if we trust in the real gospel, if we trust in Jesus Christ, there is something in our life that can never be shaken, never be taken from us. And it's that knowledge that one day we'll be in the perfect presence of God and that everything will be made right. Look at what it says in Hebrews 12, 26. But now he has promised, once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. Once more, he says, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. Why once more? And why is it that we're able to be thankful? And why is it that we're able to worship God, even when everything around us is shaking? Here's why once more, because God already shook the earth once. Do you remember when it happened? Do you remember when Jesus Christ went to the cross and as he's being crucified from the sixth hour to the ninth hour, what happened? Darkness, gloom, and storm came over the land. Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why is he saying that? Because the judgment that you and I deserve, the sin that you and I have committed was laid upon Jesus at that moment. And in that moment, he absorbed what we should absorb. And he was separated from God in such a way they had never experienced before. And what happened as a result of that, which I still personally believe, this is why Jesus died of a broken heart, literally heart failure, is because he was separated from his Father in a way he's never been separated before. He always longs for the perfect presence of the Father. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are one in every way. What happened? It says that the temple veil was torn from top to bottom. Why? Because that's where the presence of God resided, and now we have access to the presence of God. What happened? It says that the earth shook. The rocks split. This is why the author says when once more when the earth is shaken, it had already shaken once. See, every single one of us in this room, we deserve the shaking that comes with final judgment. And the removal from God, the presence that we long for and desire and need. And yet Jesus Christ put himself in a position to endure that for each and every one of us. So that no matter what shakes loose in this world as we go through life and things become difficult, we can give thanks and we can worship in every moment, in every situation. And when things are shaking around us, it's not because you don't have enough faith It's not because you didn't give enough. It's not because you didn't do this or you didn't do that for God. It's just a reality of a broken world in which we live, one that God has fixed, and he fixed it by sending his only son. Listen, some people say to me, aren't most religions the same? 
I said, absolutely not. I had a friend of mine, a Mormon, who said, we pretty much believe the same thing. I said, no, we, we do not believe the same thing in any regard, in any way. Well, why not? Well, all other religions say if you can climb Mount Sinai, if you're good enough, if you're strong enough, if you're capable enough, then when you get to the top to a terrifying God, you might be lucky enough to be saved. It's only Christianity that says that the God who brings all judgment came to earth and bore all judgment on my behalf. No other religion says that. And there is no religion in Christ that says that if I just have enough faith in that, that everything in this life's going to go well. Right here it tells me that there's going to be times when I'm going to shake. But you know what? I can be thankful and I can worship God in that moment. Why? Because there's something that can never be shaken. And that's what gives me hope. That's what gives me strength. That was, is what gives me encouragement. Look at this verse one more time. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. And so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. So here's why we are thankful in all things because we have a future that can never be shaken. Uh, Like an old car I once had as I was going down a really bad road, I would lose parts and pieces, right? Maybe that's the way you feel in your physical body right now. Maybe that's the way you feel in your finances. Maybe that's the way you feel in your relationships. Maybe that's the way you feel in some other form or fashion. You feel like things are just getting shaken loose. Well, there's something that can never be shaken. That's why we're always thankful to God. Uh, We worship because the presence of God is made available to us. And this is why we hurry to church on Sunday morning. This is why we sing boldly regardless of style. This is why we ultimately pray intensely, listen intently, because we're excited. We know that there comes a day when not only people in this room, but people of all nations will be gathered together in a perfect place in a perfect presence of God. And we will sing with all kinds of tongues, with all kinds of nations, with all kinds of tribes, with all kinds of words and all kinds of praise and ways we can only right now envision and think about. And so we're practicing that daily. We know that in that place, we will just always have the innate ability and desire to serve somebody else as they have the desire to serve us. That's Heaven's going to be like that in that way. So what do we do? We learn how to practice that right now in our our daily walk because worship doesn't end as we walk out of here on Sunday morning. It just intensifies for six more days until we come back on that seventh day to be recharged and excited about what God is preparing for us over the next six days. If you're finding it hard to be thankful right now, remember what God has promised and secured through his superior son, Jesus Christ. If you're finding it hard to worship right now, remember that God is always present with you and his future presence in your life is in a way that you can only begin to imagine right now. It's not about how we feel and it's not about what somebody else tells me I've got to do in terms of faith. It's about knowing, understanding, trusting in the presence of God that he sent his son into my life uh, through uh, the opportunity to be redeemed and rescued and begin to live in such a way to glorify him now, looking forward to glorifying him forever in the future. We can be thankful. We can worship God. We have a beautiful future to look forward to. Let's pray. Thankful, Lord, for your word. Just ask that you would give us vision, that you would give us wisdom to trust and to follow you. Uh, Father, help us to be cautious in what we say and what we do. 
Help us to always seek to know your word and not just take anybody's uh, word for it. Uh, to always be in community and work out our salvation with fear and trembling, as Paul said, to understand better each and every day how we can trust you, follow you, welcome your presence into our life. Lord, when things around us shake, we thank, we're thankful that you've given us something that can never be shaken because Jesus was shaken for us, uh, that he bore the judgment that we deserve, that he bore the sin that we've committed uh, so that we can be recognized as righteous and that we could be entered able to enter into your presence for eternity. And Father, as this world strips away things from us day to day, uh, we will give thanks to you alone. We will give praise to you alone as we worship, uh, knowing that it's worth it. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.